Yeah. Yes. So I, I don't took the old uh, agitator apart, <laughs> got the spindle line nice and taut, <laughs> and then I uh, put a dull thing back together, make sure the teeth on the transmission is spinning good. And then I put it back together and I turned it on and sure, sure as shoot, it started clackering again. It was <laughs> and I was like, dang, <laughs> I didn't fix it. So then I called, called a company. <laughs> I was like, Hey, I tried to fix it. I didn't fix it. And they said, Oh, you know that part you've been trying to fix the last two days? Well, it's defective. That that model's been recalled. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Why, what have I been doing the last two days? And they said, acting a fool. <laughs> Lesson learned. Don't try and be a fix-it fix it man. Just try and You're be really uh, integrating into the Kentucky culture here. Thank just you. kind of like um, your handyman on. I just, I just shouldn't have tried. I, I, I remember thought, the, you know what? I'm no, no, it, yeah. It's worth trying. You just, it just happened to yes. be a, a bad situation. That's all. It's like the time that I felt like I was integrated into the Kentucky culture was when I went to um, Ace Hardware and I was looking for like some kind of liquid plumber or something. And the guy mm-hmm. there was like, nah, you don't want liquid plumber. You want liquid far. And I was like, liquid far. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Man. Liquid far. Uh, Love so I got some liquid fire. Man, that is dangerous. Like that is the most oh, dangerous it, thing. It <laughs> is super dangerous. Thing. You you make sure you yeah. you, you, you wash yeah. it all the way through because that stuff will eat through your pipes if you're not careful. Yeah. So yeah. I felt but, pretty powerful with that. Basically, just straight up acid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. All right. So you guys ready to start? Let's do it. I'm Zach. I'm Colin. And I'm Bob. And welcome, welcome on to the Dallas Podcast. I just I forgot I, I start to get messed thing. up. Yeah, First I start to get messed up podcast. so then I just I just go fast. I'm just like, oh crap, I'm gonna mess up. Ah. <laughs> I don't know why well, the podcast is suddenly a tongue twister. <laughs> well, well, Maybe I've had a little too much bread and wine. Huh? Yeah, hmm. possibly. Could be. Is that possible for a Christian to to, to do that? Only uh, if you're yeah, yeah. around, you know, a certain if you're a lush. figure who, uh, you know, brings you these we'll things. Remain, we'll <laughs> remain named in this episode. That's right. Well, Not fellas, what, fellas what, what are we here to talk about? Uh, music. Uh, uh, messages. No, wait, not messages. What is that? What is that word? <laughs> <laughs> my men oh medium manliness manliness medium fries we're here to talk about music media and And what is about jesus the mission of jesus and melchizedek bob's always coming in and saving the day on that one yep (laughs) Uh, our shenanigans will stop when jesus is named he shall be named and we shall stop (laughs) oh jesus and then we're like oh sorry no jokes (laughs) sorry about that um yeah so uh zach is up for his fave not really fave just one that he picked i guess but um for uh doing a biblical figure which is going to be a lot of fun i added barely anything because there is a a lot of notes i would say you gave bob a run for his money this gave bob a run (laughs) this is looking like a bob episode But if I had not known any better, it would be a Bob yeah. episode. I did not feel like searching for the scriptures um, this time. So you let I the scriptures search for you. I get it. No, that's I, true. I, I just kind of okay. left them in the notes. So that's really kind of what takes up the most room there. 
if they're in the notes, they're in the know. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Because <laughs> I put that pretty cool. TS out at the end. Pretty cool. Um. So um. Yeah. Before we get into some, let me try and say this because I haven't read any of these notes. Is it <laughs> me, 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 is is dick it sounds like um, german it sounds like german all right so before we get into talking about melchizedek um let us do some worship and as you all know we have just been burning up that worship candle um zach and i have had a lot of fun doing some original stuff yes um so uh here we go again um without further ado let's worship Yeah. 
Daddy, thank you so much for this chance just to come together. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to continue to get together with these men uh, and as we lift each other up and lift up our audience and bring us all closer to you. We thank you and we praise you for how you continue to bless our lives and how you continue to draw, uh, chase after us and draw, uh, draw us to you. Let this time uh, be uplifting. Uh, help us to understand your word in greater detail when this is all said and done. And uh, let this converse, let these conversations be glorifying to everything that you are. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 That was a good prayer. So where do we go from here? I guess it's all downhill after such a good prayer. But we'll <laughs> it started out. That's so the problem great. with a good prayer. <laughs> like what happens? What happens when the pastor's like, before we even get into this message, let's pray, and then everybody's like crying after the prayer, and he's just like, well, gee, I had a message, but maybe we should just end early. <laughs> I threw or a bunch of scriptures in the prayer. Praying, so. huh? Ah, yeah. uh, see, that's yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, yeah. I I always like my favorite example of this funny joke is. You showed me that video from um, Asbury, and it was that pastor, and he was like, let's pray. And so he's like, yes, Lord, we pray that you would do this and that, you know, just a typical prayer. And then, like, right as people thought the prayer was about to end, he's like, and so we ask, today, as it was written in the book of Isaiah, in chapters this, that hmm. you would do this. And then it is also written in corinthians here and then people like have their eye half open like they're like yeah. oh, are we supposed to get the bible out <laughs> it's been like 10 minutes you so, can do that you can get into um tons of theology and scriptures in your prayers and that's a very seminary professor no prayer. come on i'm not remembering specifically <laughs> what you're talking i'm about, talking about the 30 second and done and we just move on that's where i'm that's at. true you know what I'm <laughs> good god i dedicate 30 seconds every day. You know, I'm just like, all right, God, listen. Thank you for this broccoli with the cheese on it. I guess I should thank Jessica, but I'll thank you too. And uh, yeah, I just hope everybody's doing good. All right. Let's good eat. food. Good I'm meat. <laughs> good God. Let's good eat. God. Good God. <laughs> like it's a swear. <laughs> oh, my no, goodness. he's literally all right, let's get good God. Like, that's a good God you got there, eh? <laughs> it's like saying bless you it's like wait what yeah. who <laughs> who's, oh, who's doing holy it? god there <laughs> ah bless you all right zach cool. okay i want um, to introduce I'm, I'm gonna give you the floor all the okay. all the wood and the carpet Sweet. yes yes zach, t t tell us cool give, give us kind of a, a small introduction here of who we're talking about all right so we are talking about a guy named i think it's pronounced melchizedek that's how i've heard it i feel like most of the time mm -hmm. um i did not know a whole lot about this guy until fairly recently i did a little bit of um bible study on some of the stuff he's involved in and i really like him because he's very mysterious <laughs> he just kind of <laughs> shows up the bible doesn't yeah. actually give us a whole lot of detail about who he is um, but what the right. Bible shares about him and kind of how scripture explains like what his role was and how he relates to Jesus, I think is pretty cool. Um, one thing before I get started, I kind of want to credit, um, a pastor and YouTube guy named Mike Winger. He has a podcast called the Bible thinker. Um, mm. I kind of borrowed a little bit from his Melchizedek video cause it was really, really good. Um, but a lot of this stuff, like, Literally, you could just look at the four scriptures that mention him, and there's really only just those four passages, pretty much, and you can learn a lot. So that's kind of how I structured this, is uh, 
Uh, we're just going to look at these four times that he's mentioned and see what the Bible has to say. Um, but first, I kind of want to introduce this concept because I think this kind of describes like what I think Melchizedek is uh, as far as my understanding of scripture. Um, have you guys ever heard of the term foreshadowing? Oh, yes. Yeah. So what would be a good example? I think it might be fun if we thought of like some movies or books or stories okay. that have some good foreshadowing in them. Can I give my first one? Sure. I have a really good one. Like a, like a, basically I have like a paragon of foreshadowing. Yeah. You ready? Zach, are you ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so in my Photoshop class, in um at eku um my teacher who will remain nameless asked us to do a certain project so we would pick a number i picked number four and then you put it in photoshop and then you have to use a drop shadow on it put a lot of shadows on it that's it and so then at the end he grades you on how well the shadow looked and i'll tell you what best example of foreshadowing ever Thank you, Zach. And the then, like, so then like never later, before. later in life, Colin becomes an art teacher. <laughs> and the teacher, the teacher who originally asked me to do the project, brings forth the original picture of a four with the shadow behind it, yeah. and he says, "This was your first piece. Hmm. Look how far you've come." <laughs> i have all the number like my entire house is filled with numbers with shadows behind them. <laughs> it's good there's a whole art exhibit no uh okay so i think i talk. would think colin that you would have like a really actual good i have example of this. i do i do because there's do. there's like i actually couldn't think of too many because there's there are so many i couldn't think of like a specific one <laughs> right so right yeah so um so here's here's the thing um, if we're talking about like just movies in general, mm-hmm. um, there are a bunch, but I'll just give some like just random ones just so that, cause I've been talking a lot. So like, uh, a quick example is like in the Hobbit when Gandalf says, Oh, if you go on this adventure, you shall never be the same, you know, mm-hmm. and, like the whole, yeah. Yeah. like how much he'll change. But like, it, depending on what kind of movie you're watching, foreshadowing yeah. can take different forms. So, for example, in a horror movie, like yes. a like a Quiet Place, um, you see um, this nail get like pulled up on the steps. Yes, uh, by a laundry bag, and you just know because of how much they fixate on that 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 is going to cause a problem later. Um, so that's like a, an example of more of like a ticking time bomb type of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right, now you guys yeah. go ahead. Cause so the one I that I, it. that I always remembered for some reason, and there's a lot of these in this one specific movie. Um, but the shining has a, a yeah. ton of them. <laughs> um, but like one that sticks out in my mind is I think when, um, the guy that's like the normal, like groundskeeper, like the guy who like discovers that Danny has the shining, there's like a part where yeah. like they're talking before he like goes off to Florida for the winter or whatever. And they're just sitting in the kitchen and there's just like all these knives and it's just like real right. eerie. Cause they're like right there real prominent in the background. And it's, it's foreshadowing like, you know, the insanity that's about to happen. And there's yeah. a lot of that too. Like where like Danny's just like 
riding around, I think, on his tricycle, mm-hmm. and he like goes past like the the room that he's not supposed to be in, and it's like mm-hmm. you know, real foreboding for what's coming later. There's a lot of foreshadowing mm-hmm. in horror movies. <laughs> so, um, so uh, okay, Bob, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, the 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 two that come to my mind. Uh, one's a little more on the ridiculous side, and that's from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And mm-hmm. towards the beginning of the film, they approach the castle with the French that are inside of it, and they mention they're looking for the Holy Grail, and they make some sort of comment to the fact they've already got one. And then you get towards mm-hmm. the end of the yeah, movie, and that is true. And, and and they're right back. You presume it's the same castle, although it's, I mean, it, it, you know, it's the same French individuals that are at the castle at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so obviously that's a bit more of a ridiculous example. You know, oh, he's already got one, you know. Um, <laughs> But uh, pro- probably a much more, uh, uh, I guess, intellectual view of it, so to speak, if you um, if you can be in this in this particular capacity, is that would be from uh, start uh, from Star Wars. Uh, was that the Empire Strikes Back where Luke uh, ends up kind of having this vision where he fights Vader yeah. and and uh, looks inside the, the helmet and he sees his own face there. Mm-hmm. You know, just this, that's very good foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. This, this connection between the two before yeah. before the yeah. infamous line of, uh, you know, um, you know, I am your father. You know? Yeah. So um, the last one that I think is just like a really is very punchy and kind of like whatever. It's it's basically the like meta foreshadowing like joke. Mm-hmm. So if you guys have seen like Wayne's World, I think it's Wayne's World 2. They come out of this like um, they come out of this uh, radio station. And as they're trying to get back in their car, there is two guys at first on the side of the road. One of them is stacking chicken boxes and the other one is stacking watermelons. And they're like, hey, uh, what are you guys doing? It's like, oh, we're just, um, you're, you know, my job is to stack watermelons. His job is to stack chicken. He's like, oh, so you're selling watermelons. He's like, nope, we just got to make sure there's as much as possible right here, just like the chickens. And then two guys walk by with a big pane of glass. He's like, what's their job? Their job is to walk back and forth slowly with that big pane of glass across the street. Huh? He goes, huh? I wonder if this is going to like pay off later. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, he like is driving the like, uh, he's driving the um, graduate like uh, Dustin Hoffman film car. uh, And it's playing, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. And he like crashes through the glass pane and like busts through the chickens and the watermelon crashing his car. (laughs) (laughs) And so like they're, they are like on the the pulse of a foreshadowing. They're like, Oh, see (laughs) what's going to happen later. You know, that's good. So there you go. Awesome. All right, Zach, what does, what the heck? I mean, gosh, what the heck are we even talking about? Why, why is that? I don't know. We could just just talk about movies, I guess. Um, I think that um, there should be a Melchizedek movie. I feel like there should be, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Um, The Bible, a lot of people say does this foreshadowing thing um, about Jesus. Um, So like, you know, there are like a lot of different characters in the Bible, like David for one, because he's a King, because he Mm -hmm. rules over Jerusalem um, because he, you know, was from Bethlehem and because God calls him a man after his own heart, all these other things. Um, there are many ways in which David foreshadows Jesus, even though David wasn't perfect. Like he clearly sinned. Um, sure. 
he wasn't Jesus, yep. but his uh, many of his characteristics that the Bible kind of points out um, kind of point to Jesus. And that's really cool because they existed in the Old Testament text before um, Jesus was born of a virgin, you know, and came mm-hmm. to earth. Right. Um, so when it comes to Melchizedek, there's a bunch of different theories out there about who he is. Um, so there's one theory we'll kind of get into that he was a pagan king. Um, has a little bit to do with like how his name is translated. Okay. Um, some people think he actually was Jesus. And so that mm. would be um, something called a Christophany. Um, like an example of that would be like the burning bush because, you know, the text actually tells us that the burning bush was God. Um, so, so you're saying that like, God before Jesus came in human form. Yeah. As yeah. Melchizedek. Like um a pre-incarnate Christ, I think. Like or an angel of the Lord. It. Yeah, the angel of the Lord is another example that I, I've not really dove into that much, to be honest. But um, some people say it it's like yeah. Jesus, but at a time when that's not like like easily uh, understood. Yeah. You, you, you're talking about when uh, Jacob wrestled the, the angel of the Lord. Yeah, I'm I think saying there's other places like where the angel Zach, of the Lord shows up too. Yeah, well, oh, okay. what, yeah. what I'm okay. saying is that Zach was mentioning that there's a theory that this could have been Jesus in that yeah. Jesus has been uh, uh, theorized to have come in other forms before. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Or like uh, the angel that helps out Joshua. Um things like that. Those are all like, some of those are like debated. I think the burning bush is like one of the ones that's like pretty clearly at least God, but um, possibly Christ. Like the burning bush might be Jesus. I think there's some evidence towards that. Um, That would be like kind of him speaking through that burning bush. Um, Another thing that Melchizedek could have been is like a spiritual being or an angel. Um, we did that episode on spiritual beings, so like a son of God. Uh, some people think he might've been that because of what the way Hebrews kind of describes him. And then the last theory, um, is that he is basically like an archetype. So like the text is just kind of using him in this foreshadowing kind of way. So these are kind of the main four. I'm not sure if there's other theories out there. Um, there might be some crazy ones. I don't know. Maybe our listeners could look some up and comment to us, <laughs> but I guess we could uh, dive into the text and kind of just uh, go through it a little bit. What do you guys think? I like this idea. Yeah, buddy. Cool. All right. So does anybody want to read um, Genesis 14, uh, 17 through 20? Yeah, I can read that one. Um, okay. And the setup yep. for this will be that Abram, or known later as Abraham had just defeated uh, this army because um, they had kidnapped lot. And so he went after them and rescued his relative lot. Gotcha. So starting in verse 17, it says uh, after Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer and the Kings allied with him, the King of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. 
And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave a, him a tenth of everything. This is where nice. we're first introduced to Melchizedek. Um, it looks like we're introduced to a lot of things here for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we could highlight is how he brought out bread and wine, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not aware of any other time before this that that specifically is mentioned as like... Um, so he's you know, kind of the bringer of of um, indulgence in a way. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say Because of the wine, Bob. <laughs> Right. You get it? <laughs> you no, know, I, I get it. I get it. I, Good. I, I, it was really, really It was really grape juice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I am a little curious if this is where if this is why during the Passover, um, the the flatbread and the and, and the wine is is drank. The flatbread, obviously, we, the the text tells us in the past. Yeah. In the Passover story, it was it was to highlight the fact that they're in a hurry. And this mm-hmm. is meant to be, you know, just eat something real quick. You don't have time to make something. Reminds them of know. what they had to do when they were in Egypt. Right. Yeah. But I'm wondering if this is, if, if, if that in itself was more of a reference to this story right here, where Melchizedek, priest of, the, of God the Most High, um, uh, brought out bread and wine following the victory of Abram. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be. Um... I I don't think like bread and wine were necessarily uncommon like at that time. Um, okay, but that's but, fair. You know, God could clearly be using you know something as simple as like celebrating with bread and wine to kind of illustrate like His goodness. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting because it's like the first time that bread and wine are connected with like worship in some way. And that's going to become a very, very important thing later on, especially with Jesus where he like institutes communion. Yeah, buddy. That's really, really interesting that communion has not been set up yet. And yet here's Melchizedek bringing out bread and wine. Exactly. Yeah. To kind of like consecrate like Abram. And uh, the other thing is that it mentions that he was a priest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the other thing that's not set up at this time. There's no temple in Jerusalem. Um, I, I'm not even sure if there really is a Jerusalem because it calls Melchizedek the king of Salem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it's very likely that Salem is Jerusalem or like a, you know, a very early yeah, form dur- of the city of Jerusalem. D- right. During the prep work for this episode, I I had yeah. seen that as well. Does that a lot of a lot of theologians believe that Salem was the early name of Jerusalem? We, we see that with a, with several different cities throughout ancient history. Yeah, uh, specifically in the in the Bible, they refer to one by by a certain name at one point in the Bible, and then mm-hmm. the same city is referred to by a different name later on. And yeah. so, some are saying that since he was a priest of, uh, you know, he was a priest, but also a king that it very well mm. could have been the early version of Jerusalem. Either yeah. that's true or there it was fits. a bunch of witch trials there. And then after that was all done, oh then they there was, um, Jerusalem. there were three, <laughs> there were three sisters that sang and could like, that's right. Put you under a trance through their, um, you know, oh my vocal goodness. harmonics. 
and then and then um Winona Ryder showed up and said, No, me and my girls will be at a witch trial and we'll stop you. Uh, so um my question is um have you guys looked into at all the significance of like what wine and bread are supposed to mean in the scripture, which we know what bread should mean. Um, mm-hmm. My thing is about like, my thing about like wine in general is that it's wine and bread are both mm-hmm. connected to Jesus. That's yeah. my thing. So right. like if you, um, so like for example Jesus turns the wash water into into like really really wonderfully tasting wine um mm-hmm. during that that uh um the wedding the, the wedding, wedding where he brings mm-hmm. Peter with him um and it's like the best tasting wine ever right uh mm-hmm. Jesus says I am the bread of life Mm-hmm. right um but then later with the sacrament he is he is comparing the bread and the wine to his blood and his uh, sorry his body and his blood yeah mm-hmm. um so i think there is a lot of there is a lot of connections that you can make already yeah. with just genesis 14 yeah well w- w- wine was to... also was often used as a symbol of blessing specifically um, occasionally you might uh, I've seen it also argued that it also is a sign of judgment from time to time. Right. I think both of those inter- both of those could also apply blessing and judgment could apply to this particular passage. The blessing that Abram was 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 victorious, but yeah. the judgment that came as a result of his victory. you know that- that's yeah, that's something that we don't um, focus on a whole lot. Um, I mean, it's something that I've hardly ever heard anyone preach about but there are times in the scriptures where god uses people whether they be you know people on god's side or even sometimes people that are against god he'll use Mm -hmm. people or he'll use armies to bring judgment you know to israel absolutely yeah so i mean he uses uh joshua's army to bring judgment to the canaanites but then Mm -hmm. god also uses like the uh, Babylonians to bring judgment on Israel when they go astray. Absolutely. You know? And so, um, yeah, judgment is happening here because there was judgment for the armies that Abram defeated because God kind of delivered him to victory. So um, we're reading Genesis 14. Yes. So um, not too, not too far later in Genesis um, during, um, chapter 27 of genesis there is another um kind of what i would call a um sort of a using bread and wine symbolically um and i think that this even like because i wanted to find scriptures that were not after jesus does the communion with them like with the Mm -hmm. with the apostles because I know anytime I look up scripture that has to do with bread and wine, it's going to be referencing that. But in Genesis 27, this is what it says. Well, we'll start in, well, I'm going to start in verse 26. Um, but it's Genesis chapter 27, starting in verse 26. It says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven 
and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. So um, I think that there is a symbolism between the idea of like bread and wine or grain and wine in terms of like manna of heaven, Mm -hmm. if you want to even say that. Um, And so isn't that also what you just read um, where Mm. Jacob deceives Isaac, right? He pretends to be. um, Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. uh, Esau. He pretends to be Esau. He does, but yeah. in this in this situation, just like when Melchizedek shows up mm-hmm. um, to bless Abram, he is he. It is kind of this symbolic gesture of saying, yeah. "Like, may the Lord bless you." And here's like a symbolic yeah. gesture yeah. of the blessing, which is gra- which is grain and wine. And it so, always just blew my mind um, yeah. in that scripture that even though Jacob stole it out from under. Um, Esau's nose, you know, even though we like tricked Isaac, the blessing was still real. Hmm. Like, yeah, no, it's it's a real blessing. Wouldn't you? And and, and not, not, it was so real that it could not be undone. Couldn't be undone. You would think that, um, I don't know, like, uh, oh, your intention would count. Like, oh, I didn't intend to give it to Jacob. I can take it back. But, but God, can't. I think but, but the point is <laughs> yeah. the point is that God intended for Jacob to do that. Yeah, yeah. That's the point. And so, and it follows so that same the, line with the right. bread and the wine being symbolic of blessing. Yeah. That's exactly right. So in Psalm mm-hmm. 104, 15, it says, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen a man's heart. Mm-hmm. So I think all throughout the scripture, we're seeing that bread and wine is symbolic of this kind of like manna of, of blessing and strengthening, but like even more so that takes on a, a completely different shape when Jesus shows up. So I just, I just think that's interesting that even before Jesus shows up, bread and wine is, is, is holy and sort of a like uh, symbolic way. Mm-hmm. So when Melchizedek gives the blessing to Abram, um, he's he, and he's doing that. I don't know. I don't know why I'm fixating on it. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's. I feel like you're touching on the fact that it um it indicates that the blessing comes from God. Like yeah. you couldn't you couldn't have bread unless God blessed you with grain crops. You know. You couldn't have mm-hmm. wine unless sure. God allowed for a good harvesting of grapes. And like, there's a lot of times where it talks about like, you know, um, grapes that are like trampled on or fields that are burned down or um, famines that happen. Um, bread and wine are like super dependent on God's providence. Um, and so I think that's another aspect of it that plays into it really well. Um, the right. other thing just real quick about the Genesis 14 scripture is um kind of take note of the fact that Melchizedek is both a king and a priest. Yes. I noticed that uh, right yeah. away. Yes. That's really, really important because there's only one other person in all the scriptures that is called both. And so we'll kind of get to that as we go on. Ooh, okay. I'm with you. Yeah. All right. And so, yeah. So there you go. There's, um, there's some really good foreshadowing of things to come later in the scriptures. I like it. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit about um, just kind of the name Melchizedek, um, the name uh, Melik, 
is actually Hebrew for king. And uh, Zedek or Sedek is uh, either righteousness or it's a proper name. Um, I think that people have been translating his name to uh, the king of righteousness. That's kind of been the traditional understanding. Although some people um, have kind of indicated that Zedek may be a Canaanite deity. Um, Mm. And so they've kind of some, that's where some people theorize that he was just like a worshiper of a pagan God. Um, But the, um, the text mentions that Melchizedek was a priest of God most high. Yes. And so that to me, I'm inclined to think he's talking about Yahweh. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think yeah. anybody else really has interpreted that that as any other way than, you know, he worshiped Yahweh. Yeah. Yeah. So but that's out there. But I think Melek meaning king and Sedek meaning righteousness. That's kind of another thing that kind of plays into this foreshadowing that um, goes on as we kind of get introduced to the actual like eternal king of righteousness in mm-hmm. Jesus later. So we can move on to uh, Psalm 110. Um, would Let's one of you guys want to read that one? I'll, I'll read it since Bob read the last one. Yeah. Psalm 110, cool. one so, four. Psalm 110. All right. Starting in verse one, the Lord says to my Lord. Oh yeah. I remember this one. This one's interesting. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord says to my Lord, what's interesting about this passage, we just talked about this pretty recently at Center Church. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord says to my Lord. So wh- a lot of Jesus people get quotes this. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. get confused by the terminology of the way that's used. But what they're, yeah. Sit at, so he's saying, so I'll just read it and then I'll talk about it after. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, array in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So there we go. Verses one through four. Nice. Yeah. Um, Colin, what are your thoughts on the Lord says to my Lord? Because I'm interested to hear. So, this. so, okay. Different translations describe what the two differentiating. Um, I think you could out there for just a second there, Colin. Can you, can you the start two differentiating things are. So um, it's also in Matthew 22, 44, which is what you said about mm-hmm. Jesus mentioning it. Um. So the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So Mm -hmm. we have to understand that the Lord in this case, big Lord is the father and my Lord is Jesus. So that's, that's what I understand about it. That would be um, the, the, sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's the, that, what you just described fits really perfectly, especially for Matthew um, 22, because um, what happened was people are like asking like, who is Jesus? And like, whose son is he? And they're like, well, he's the son of David. Cause you know, he's like mm. from the line of David. Um, but they're like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Okay. So if he's the son of David, how is he also the Lord? 
Um, if David calls him Lord, how can he also be a son? And so Jesus, you know, he says, how is it then that David speaking by the spirit calls him Lord for he says, and so this is talking about how does David call the Messiah Lord, even though David is, you know, also a son of God, like by the spirit. Um, for he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under my feet. Um, if then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day, no one dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> 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 so he's basically describing that even though he's, he's quoting this Psalm because this Psalm 110 is about David. And even though David is the Lord of Israel, he's the king, he has a Lord, which is God. And so the Lord, God, says to my Lord, it's translated the Lord in uppercase, says to my Lord with a lowercase l. Um, so it's really demonstrating that God has lordship, like even over the king. And so it's pretty interesting, <laughs> the connection there. Well, like, so... I <laughs> bless me. Um, so I agree with you, Zach, mm -hmm. but I want to take it a step further because the actual words used are different. So that um, you might've already said this maybe, um, but the first word Lord is Yahweh. And the second mm -hmm. word for my Lord is Adonai. And so, um, yeah, David is literally writing Yahweh says to my Adonai. And so Adonai is Messiah or Christ and Yahweh is God, God, like big boy God. And so that's, that's how I understood it. And, and also um, when he describes that sit at my right hand, mm -hmm. that is one of those things where people start to debate a little bit because how could one part of the Trinity sit to the right hand of yeah. another part of the Trinity. But I think that in terms of the way that David is describing th this situation, um, it, it does, it does fit because there are times when Jesus mm -hmm. is described as sitting at the right hand of the father, which is exactly yeah. what it says in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so he is just reiterating that, that imagery. So that's, you get a peek that's all into, into the Trinity there because, like, even though Jesus is equal with God the Father, he's the Son, he's part of the Trinity. Um, he submits to the Father, and so he calls God Lord, <laughs> even though he himself is also Lord and God. Um, and people are like, how is this possible, you know, that you could be the Messiah right. and yet you still you know, call God Lord. He's describing it to you right there. He's like, David was, was the King. He was Lord of Israel, but he still called Yahweh Lord. And you're right. Yeah. He was, um, Adonai, which is just a general word for, for Lord. Uh, but he answers to Yahweh, the actual name given of God. So yeah, that's all pretty interesting. And yep. in the Psalm, it describes, um, David this time, as you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so I think in this one, you get more of that, like 
messianic foreshadowing um, because David really didn't actually act uh, in the like role of a priest. That is true. David answered yeah. to, to Samuel typically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, did. which, which to be fair, in the hierarchy of Judaism, uh, specifically the kingdom of Israel, um, Samuel was actually above the priest. That's why Samuel was able to remove Saul from kingship and mm-hmm. give it to David yeah. in the first place. But the point is, is the fact that 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 David was not a priest, nonetheless. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a priest of Israel and a prophet, I think, and then the king. And those three things are all things that um, Jesus gets to fulfill later but in the old testament Mm. they were typically uh three different people um i lost my train of thought but i think um oh yeah so one of the things that kind of like um excludes david from being a priest is that he was not from the the tribe of levi ah that was something that that was set up uh, Mm -hmm. during exodus i think Yes. Um, yes, it was Aaron. Aaron kind of becomes the first priest mm-hmm. and Aaron was of the line of uh, Levi um, out of Jacob's sons. And so the tribe of Levi becomes like where the priests all come out of. Um, but from what I understand, I th- how I understand this Psalm, I think is that it's saying that God can work through David. So even though David is not really a priest, um, God is like ministering to uh, his people in Israel through David. So even though he's not from the tribe of Levi, where priests are supposed to be coming from, David still kind of has this special place different from most of the other Kings of Israel, where he does kind of uh, like a priest is supposed to be a person who, stands kind of in between and like helps the human relationship with God. Mm-hmm. They're almost kind of like an interpreter, like between man and God. And so like David kind of gets to do that a little bit, even though he's not a priest. Um, but I think that the bigger point that's being established here is that God's workings are bigger than ours. God decides who can be a priest. Uh, Usually priests and kings weren't the same people, um, but God can still work. Like, even if you're not from the tribe of Levi, like that doesn't matter to God because you have the example of Melchizedek, who was also not from the tribe of Levi. So it's not like a legalistic thing where it's like, God's not going to work through anybody unless they're from this specific bloodline. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the point is that God can pick who he's going to work through. And I think that, I think that's an important thing to yeah. to take note of because even today I feel like that there, um, I don't think that's necessarily true between the three of us, but mm. uh, just because of how we have been raised in the church, the churches that we've been part of, um, but I, I, I so I don't think that I, so I don't think that we are part of this next description that you to say, but I do feel like that so many Christians believe that. God works through the pastors. God works through through the religious leaders. He doesn't, yeah. and they're there to simply to teach us and to be the hands and feet mm-hmm. of God. And as a Christian, my job is simply show up on Sunday morning 
and to and to sit in a pew or sit in chairs or whatever and maybe sing a few songs and listen and that's my job and but god's working through them over there and so yeah. at, at, you know there, there's a separation there and i think this right here is kind of points it out that that you know you don't have to be part of the priestly line you don't you don't have to be a priestly occupation in order for god to work through you mm-hmm. and so so often I feel like that so that many people within our within the church will forget that or not believe that or have this separation that doesn't seem that that that, that seems to be torn down so much in scriptures and yet still people try to pull that wall back up. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. I think that um, like I didn't want to say this until later, but I think that Melchizedek was real, but I also think Melchizedek represents something. It's very much like how mm-hmm. it, is it Hosea who has the uh, wife who is yes, um, she was a, a prostitute basically. God tells God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute woman and have Mm -hmm. children that are like not Mm -hmm. nice basically. Yep. And so people are like, no, Hosea was real, but also those things represent Israel. (laughs) Like that is a, that is a parallel to that. And so so you Israel are an adulterous woman. I continue to seek after you, but, Mm -hmm. but and then the children of that off of that union uh, are the way that they are because of that. And that's, how that is now. And so my, my, my question is, do you guys feel like that is how Melchizedek is in the scripture? Is he both a real person and a duality of, of symbolism? I've expressed for a long yeah. time that I do feel like that there's a lot of that in scripture, that yeah. this, this, this real and this duality. Um, uh, the, the main, the main example that I've often used for it is, is uh, in Ezekiel when it talks about a oh, morning star or, or as the King James version re- uh, refers to it as O Lucifer, you know mm-hmm. that 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 he was referring to a king and using this Babylonian deity yeah. that the king would be familiar with to insult him. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, is that also a duality with uh, the the entity that we will later refer to as Satan? You know, it, yeah, it could be. It might not literally be like the primary purpose of that passage to say this mm-hmm. is exactly what Satan is like, but in right. using the imagery from the Babylonian King and kind of illustrating like that mythological story, it's pointing mm-hmm. to a greater reality because there's some truth to it. And that there was a member of God's heavenly court that has become our enemy at some point. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 and, and so likewise, I feel like this this entity of Melchizedek was a real person, and that's the primary message yeah. that needs to be that, – that he was a priest, that he was a king, and yeah. he blessed Abram, and that's the primary. But this idea, this duality of foreshadowing that could become – absolutely. I do think that's very, to something very likely. else, yeah. Signposts almost. Um, so later on when we get into the New Testament and when we start reading about Jesus – um, Israel has now, um, a different temple 
um, that had been built later on King Herod's temple. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have like this Mm -hmm. whole other, like they have a continuation basically of the system of like the priesthood. They're still practicing like, you know, a lot of the stuff that basically a lot of what they were practicing during that time was set up like uh, during the time of like Nehemiah and stuff when they were like rebuilding Jerusalem after they'd come back from being in exile. Um, But Mm -hmm. obviously Jesus kind of points out where they had gone astray in many ways, like they became legalistic. And so there's like a huge focus in the new Testament, um, like Jewish temple system on like the rules and the regulations and following those. And of course, one of those big ones would be, you can't be a priest unless you're of the tribe of Levi. That was still a rule that was in place. Um, and yet sure. Jesus, you know, comes along and after his death and his resurrection, we start to understand that Jesus himself is a priest. And not, not only is he a priest, but he's like our sacrifice and he's the priest and talks about him standing at the right hand of the father. Um, and he intercedes for us. Um, he kind of gets to stand in that place where he's, um, he's interceding between man and God. And that's very priestly duty. Um, And so Hebrews talks a lot about that, like how we just have this one priest, a great high priest, um, that is the end all be all. Like there's no need for priests to perform sacrifices now because Jesus has done it once and for all. Um, But the people who were interested in keeping power, um, Mm -hmm. Jewish leaders, Levitical priests of the time, would have a lot of reason to try and discredit this. And so they would say, Oh Jesus, he's not, you know, he's from the tribe of David. He can't be a priest. And so I think in some ways, like what Hebrews is talking about is it's maybe um, defending Jesus's claim to be priest and it's doing it from a Jewish hmm. perspective. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. That, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so and so Hebrews referencing this passage uh, shows that you know that it, it it's it's not common, but it is possible to be a priest or have a priestly role and yet not be of the yeah. tribe of Levi. And Jesus, because of who he is, can also be priest and king. So, and people are like, how Very cool. um, you know? So you know. so going going forward, because obviously Jesus was there with God. We know this from later yeah. scripture, but is this the earliest scripture that that hints to Jesus? Do you feel like, like I'm not sure if it's the earliest or not. Um, I, I know I, that people do that with with Abel. They say yeah. with Abel, he they yes. say yeah, but his blood speak uh, Jesus's blood speaks a better word than Abel did, does. Yes, but yeah, I, I'm talking about right. But I'm talking about like in the scripture itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would, I don't know I would kind of argue uh, uh, Genesis one where God says, "Let us make man in our image." Ah, see, that's a good one. But my, 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 yeah, in my mind, that's the earliest yeah. one. But even that is necessarily somewhat vague yeah. to God ref- referring to Himself in the plural, you know, uh, form. And is that really? A reference to Jesus, or simply what we we now refer to as the Trinity, Trinity uh, as as a whole. 
and it's possibly you know, both. How, yeah, because it, it does was, mention that the spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis one two. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um, in my mind, I view that as kind of the earliest. I I, I, w- I might argue though that Melchizedek might be the earliest reference to Jesus, uh, uh, the entity of Jesus himself. Yeah, I I, I think that I, that that might be a fair statement, Colin, that this might be the earliest view of Jesus as opposed to the Trinity, um, all aspects you, of God. Are you guys familiar with um, Genesis 3.15? I don't have that one memorized off of me, off, off, the, off the top of my it's head. It's part of the um, – it's part of the prophesying that happens after um, – it's part of the curse – basically okay um genesis 3 hang on um okay so this is god he's talking to he talks to adam and then he talks to eve he's kind of saying like here's the curse of like what's going to happen now that you're banished from eden because Mm -hmm. you guys sinned um so here's what he says to the serpent which is really interesting um he says so the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then it says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Um, And so this could be just generally talking about like humans, like having difficulty with things like snakes, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. or it could also be, and many people would argue it is symbolic of the offspring that is to come. Yes. Um, I, I have actually yeah. heard this pat this verse yeah. used many times in reference to Christ's sacrifice yeah. on the cross, that this so was I his think defeat of, of the serpent. Yeah. If it were me, yeah. that's probably where I would peg the earliest like reference to what to, Jesus, Jesus would do later and like who he was. Yeah. The woman will have offspring and uh, he's going to crush that head of that snake. (laughs) So there you go. Um, Okay. So I want to get back to Hebrews five, one through Mm -hmm. 10 really fast. Um, And so basically people were saying that Jesus must be a priest. Um, But I think people had reason to not believe that they thought that that's not a very Jewish idea to think he was a priest because he's not from the right tribe. Let's discredit this. And so Hebrews, Mm. I think, is really brilliant (laughs) because Hebrews kind of defends like who Jesus is from a Jewish point Mm. of view. Like they use the Old Testament scriptures to kind of back up a lot of things. So it talks at length about Jesus being a priest. And so uh, Hebrews 5, 1 through 10, it says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to all other gifts and sacrifices for sins. He, the priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron being like the first person who was called to be priest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Verse five, in the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. 
And he says in another place, this is referencing that Psalm, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so it explains that a little bit. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So um, we've kind of already established that Melchizedek is able to be a priest because God called him directly and he can be outside of the system of like Levitical, like approval for priests. And so this Mm -hmm. kind of proves that Jesus can be a priest. What are your guys' thoughts? So I, I made some notes there about that, about the the duality of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys caught any of that stuff that I wrote, but um, so I think that Jesus is kind of superfluous with the duality of 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 that like of being a king and a and a servant uh and so yeah like i think he can be a priest and uh, the messiah mm-hmm. like and i think that when when we say the word priest i think for the jews the rabbi was a close approximation like i think priest is the same but maybe i'm th- maybe i'm thinking of that a little bit the rabbi uh, means teacher doesn't it yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, I- anybody could be potentially become a rabbi if you just simply had another rabbi to sit under. But uh, and they were great teachers and would sometimes preach in the synagogues. But a priest, specifically with the height with the temple itself, that was reserved strictly for the for 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 the um, Levites. Okay. So, well, well, okay. So I just meant I meant in the role of being a priest. But yeah, I understand yeah. your point. Like so, like. Um, what I'm, what I guess I'm saying is a priest to me, isn't like a King, but like they kept saying, you know, um, yep, ex- exactly. Yeah. That, that's part of what, what, what made Melchizedek special. Yeah. Yeah. But, yep. but, but I will say that they did call Jesus the King of the Jews. <laughs> so yeah. like, right. In a way he had Kingship. And then of course, later we know he is, he is King. Yeah, and, and Hebrews refers to him as the high priest numerous times. And which, yeah, so I, I think that yeah. I think there's a lot you could say about Jesus being both a king and a priest. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and, and yeah, like, and, that, and that parallel to Melchizedek. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's just a lot of there's a lot of uh, of that going around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. So I guess we'll uh, we'll kind of move towards wrapping this up since we. Um, We've been going for a while, Um, but Hebrews seven kind of expands on like who Melchizedek is. And so I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty interesting. It says this Melchizedek was King of Salem and priest of God, most high referencing Genesis 14. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the Kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a 10th of everything. Um, First, the name Melchizedek means King of righteousness then also king of Salem means king of peace, which is another, you know, way of saying Salem and, and Shalom 
are kind of the, from right. the same word. Um, so mm-hmm. that kind of settles the name debate because scripture actually weighs in on it. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Now, this is really interesting. It, um, it literally means Kind of getting this. into, um, in verse 3, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So this is where some people get that Melchizedek was actually Jesus himself, because it does say he's without a father right. or mother, without genealogy. Um, he remains a priest forever. Um, but I think it's interesting that it says resembling the son of God. Um, yeah. So I would think if it actually were Jesus, it would say he was and not just that he resembled the son of God. I don't know. What do you guys think mm. about that? No, I got that. Um, Wait, so what uh, What are you asking? Whether or not he resembled saying, yeah. or he was? So well, some I'm people sorry. believe that Melchizedek actually is Jesus, right? And part of their proof is from this uh, chapter 7, verse 3 of Hebrews, where it says, right. without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Uh, so this is where people get that um, Melchizedek might actually be Jesus. Mm. What are your guys' yeah. thoughts about this scripture, the way that it kind of describes him? Hmm. It, it, it's it's a neat it's a neat scripture. Um, I'm not sure that I'm in full agreement with with that interpretation. Mm-hmm. There is most certainly that we we don't have record of a beginning or an end, but that doesn't mean there yes. wasn't one for Melchizedek. Yeah. I have no reason to believe everything here seems to point to the fact that, that he was a King just as, um, um, Oh, who, who was the other King that was present with him? Uh, at, the King of Sodom was there too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The King of Sodom. And so we got the King of Sodom and then we've got the King of Salem, Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, and that because of the context, we got no, I got no reason to believe that he was, yeah a deity, you know, or, or, or an angelic yeah. figure. I have every reason to believe that he was in fact a human being yeah. who did have a be- beginning. We don't, we don't have any records of it, but I find this, the symbolism here and the parallels that Hebrews is bringing to be quite interesting nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. I think Hebrews is doing something here <laughs> because yeah. I think that Melchizedek was a real person. He would have had a father and mother. He would have had genealogy unless we're reading this like completely literally. Um, and I don't think that we have to do that. Um, what I think it might be saying, yeah. if I could kind of like, you know, give my interpretation of it is in our memory of him, he's without father or mother he's without genealogy mm. because we're not shown that. And cause you got to remember that scripture not only chooses like what the, when God kind of like directs scripture to be put together, um, it's almost just as important what's not said <laughs> as what is. Yeah. Because it yeah. could have said, Oh, and Melchizedek was there also. And his father was this blah, blah, blah. Um, but it doesn't, it kind of leaves him as this mysterious figure that kind of points to something else. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think Hebrews is just kind of saying that like, 
this mystery from the Old Testament that we have was pointing to Jesus, and here's why. Um, we were yeah, shown this no, character I, that had no father or mother mentioned. You know, he's just yeah. an allegory for Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, right. Well, like, again, you know, I'm not saying that Melchizedek didn't exist, but I do think that he has a somewhat of a symbolic like nature to him. Yeah, absolutely. And so, absolutely. And so in that same regard, there are a lot of symbolic things in the early, in like the early old Testament that give foreshadowing as Zach would have said mm-hmm. um, to Jesus or to the crucifixion or, I mean like, so like Nahum, um, which is a, a, you know, old Testament, like rape, you know, somewhere fairly close to when the gospel show up mm-hmm. a few books back says, look for the man who's, whose feet are on the mountain, bringing yeah. the good news. Yeah. And so like, uh, hold on. Let me, fi- let me find that one real quick. So I can just read this so that I can. Yeah. So it says. In Nahum uh, 1, verse 15, it says... Nahum 1, 15? Nahum, it says, Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. For never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So uh, he is is foreshadowing Jesus Mm -hmm. in a very like vague way but mm-hmm. but it's still a foreshadowing and so it's all you get is upon the mountains the feet who bring uh, of the man who brings the good news who publishes peace and so in the same way melchizedek is foreshadowing jesus but he's doing it in almost a personification way where yeah so many others do as well, kind of like um, Jonah or uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think they say Abel too, or you know all these other figures. They Abel have because he was murdered, elements. right? Yeah. Well, they have all of these elements mm-hmm. that make up who we know later to be the Messiah. And what's interesting is, um, for those who wrote the, these scriptures the thing that people forget is that the old Testament was written long before Jesus showed up. And then the new Testament was written after Jesus was gone or a good portion of it. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting is the linking up of the, of the language and of the events. Mm -hmm. It almost seems like someone came in later and revised the old Testament to make it make sense for Jesus, but that's not how it happened. And Jesus makes reference to people like Jonah or he references mm-hmm. the book of Enoch and he references all of these scriptures when he is on earth Yep, that prove that God was working things in that time. Yeah. Which kind of Absolutely. letting people, letting people know who's coming slowly and subtly, which again is my, one of the main reasons why I feel like God this is probably not a too uncommon theory that God from the very beginning before anything uh, ever happened in the garden of Eden or anything, God knew everything that was going to happen. Yes. And so he was literally orchestrating this grand story over thousands of years. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, he guided and he even guided the process that like put scripture together, I think. And so like, imagine how the, uh, the allegory would not have been as good if we did have more info about Melchizedek, you know, cause who knows, like he was probably, oh, yeah, not, his, his cousin, not a perfect Jimmy. person, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, if you add more details to this guy's life, there probably right. be other, other things that don't match with Jesus. Like David would seem like he was just exactly like Jesus in almost every way. But we have stories about him like sinning and committing adultery and mm-hmm. um, so we have like all kinds of stories about David messing up. And so those things kind of break the picture down to where he's not perfectly like Jesus in every way. Like he messes up a lot. Um, I'm sure oh, there's yeah. a lot of that here with Melchizedek as well, but we're not told it. And I think that's on purpose. I think it's so that like his foreshadowing um, is much, much clearer. Yeah. We were just giving yeah, the no, important and- part. <laughs> Right. But, Mm -hmm. but again, like if we think if we, if we consider that Melchizedek was real and that he lived and it wasn't just some like Mm -hmm. allegorical story um, that, that holds its own weight. But even if it was an allegorical story, it's still an allegorical story written Mm -hmm. long before Jesus was ever born. Yeah. And Jesus coming alive, living and fulfilling those, um, would you want to say allegories of who, what kind of a person he was still, that's still the same thing to me. It's, it's either the guy lived and exemplified what Christ would be later, or it was an allegorical story that talked about a character that exemplified Christ. And then Christ showed up and was that person. So it's like either way, (laughs) like God was working, (laughs) right? It could be both. And God was working through it. All right, cool. I'm going to finish out the scripture real fast. Um, Moving on to verse four, uh, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So this is placing Melchizedek in a way like higher than the Levitical priest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he didn't need that line of Levi. Um, and without a doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the 10th is collected by the people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi who collects the 10th paid the 10th through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. I think that one's <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> kind of weird logic there. But yeah, Jesus yeah. is even better because um, the tithing that happened like happened way before the priesthood was ever even born. <laughs> right. So, Ugh. yeah. Gave him 10%. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you, what he deserved for being, for exemplifying what, yep. you know, a good priest. Yep. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? 
For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. So it's talking about how Jesus is a descendant of Judah and not It's a racist thing. <laughs> and in regard to that <laughs> tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become priest not on the basis of regulation as his ancestry, uh, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared you are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. The law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. I love how Hebrews is doing this. It's like saying, okay, you know this Old Testament reasoning for like a thing we do? Jesus is better than that. <laughs> you know, because it talks yeah, about like the blood of Abel. Because Abel's blood cried out for vengeance after he was murdered. Speaks a better word. But Jesus' blood yeah. cries out for mercy, you know, and so it's even better. Um, it was not without an oath. Other priests came without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath to God when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Um, referencing the psalm once more. Because of this oath, right. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So he's got this like actual authority that comes like before even Abraham, before the Old Testament, um, before these like priests and this whole like temporary solution. Verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And then this last part I want to highlight. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So Jesus um, supersedes all human beings in that he sacrificed himself for our sins, um, whereas the priests have to stand in the uh, temple and just perform these rituals over and over and over again. And it never like fully covers sin. Jesus can fully cover sin through like one sacrifice once and for all. And so um, right. I think it's really cool that we obviously have a lot of stuff here about Jesus. Um, we have relatively few yes. words about Melchizedek, um, but Melchizedek's life um, in that he was a priest and a king um, that he came and he blessed Abraham and that like he was working with God, like outside of the human laws and the human like system that we have. Um, yeah. Jesus is like that and that he supersedes it. And so Melchizedek gets to foreshadow all of that. And so I thought it was pretty cool to talk about somebody who, um, 
who we know very little about and yet there's like such deep like yeah. theological connection <laughs> yeah and, i know and I, and I will say that that passage from hebrews it, it's it's it can be a bit hard to follow it really really can yeah uh we got to remember that hebrews was written primarily to the jewish people yep. that was their primary audience those are the people who are going to understand it the most but that doesn't mean that there isn't there isn't some good meat there for if we were to sit down and dissect it further yeah if we ever had the time which obviously we don't have as much time here to do that but it is it's so good it, 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 mm. it is so deep um it is so good to see that connection so, being made directly by hebrews so um there is a, one final thing and i know zach you've already touched on this but i just want to bring us back to a guest that we had on at one point we had mm -hmm. um kevin slump yeah on um as a guest once for our uh on our podcast and he talked about um salvation and what comes with salvation yes and so when it comes to the order of melchizedek a lot of people and and we may have may, we uh we talked about a whole lot tonight so, so maybe i missed this but um i want to reiterate if we didn't talk about it or or bring it up if we didn't talk about it and that is this idea that if Jesus is the sympathetic high priest and the king, mm -hmm. like Melchizedek, and being in the order of Melchizedek means you're, you know, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I almost wonder if there's a connection to Jesus being a priest forever. Yeah. And then as a result of that we share in his kingship as as kevin would say yeah do you remember when kevin said we share in his this we share in his mm -hmm. that we share in his righteousness so um i think yeah. we you me zach and bob and all of those who follow jesus technically could say we are in the order of melchizedek <laughs> that's really interesting technically well, yeah, as, as being be adopted about, sons and daughters of yeah. Christ, I think as there's some way for that. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. co-heirs. Yes, I think there there is some there is some truth to that. Yeah, I think it's so, also so in I wanted Hebrews to that, that or maybe it's in Peter. Where does it say that royal priesthood scripture? I have to look that up real fast. Okay, okay. it's First so, Peter two nine. First Peter two nine. Yeah, you are a chosen okay. people, a royal priesthood, God's holy nation. Mm -hmm. That's talking about uh, us. See, yeah, see that. So we are so the priesthood I think, too, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think that we. I think it is saying that, like, this is the final connection that I've been trying to kind of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, nudge us towards, and that is mm -hmm. that if Jesus Christ is the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, if he is the forever priest, as as Melchizedek is technically a forever priest. Um, cause it says in the Psalm, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my, the, 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 the unwavering connection to, to the Messiah, um, kind of makes me think that the idea is like, it says in second Samuel, it says he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Yeah. says that and so mm -hmm. if much like melchizedek so this is a website i'm reading you know the god answers website i love this website 
And it says at the end of his little spiel here, it says, much like Melchizedek was both priest and king, Jesus is both priest and king. He -hmm. is the eternal mediator between God and man and the final authority as reigning king. So soon to return and establish his physical kingdom in the same city where Melchizedek was from, Jerusalem. And so I think technically that the order of Melchizedek may be the order of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so really cool. I've not, I've not really, um, I've not really heard that connection, but yeah, we are part of that too. Cause if we're a part of a Royal priesthood through Christ, I th- I think that's, I think that's the ultimate last connector. So I like that um, a lot. And so the other thing I wanted to bring up as a conclusion, I know you have some conclusion stuff too, but the one I wrote uh, had to do with um, this idea that I felt was sort of significant in the scripture. Whenever a later, a biblical figure is given like the first title of something, it's usually a figure who like really exemplifies like, like true righteousness and like Christian values. Yes. Like not just like a man that's relatable from a story, like even Elijah, for example, Elijah has flaws. Like he gets scared and runs away or um, mm-hmm. like, and I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm just saying that when the Bible says, this is what it, this is what we need to like strive for. Like with Stephen, he's the first deacon, right? Mm-hmm. So isn't Melchizedek the first, um, what do they say? The first, uh, Dang it. I guess he, he might be the first priest that's specifically mentioned as a priest. Mm-hmm. That's what, Oh yeah. That's what it yeah. is. He's, yeah. he's the first priest. Yeah. So, because they, they use that word for the first time with him. And then with James, I think he is the first Bishop and hmm. James, a uh, brother of John. That's what they say because he establishes, uh, I'll go into that later. Just look this up for yeah. listeners. But, um, these figures are people who like completely like outpour this like wisdom and righteousness. Like right. it's right. That's like their whole thing. Like, yeah. so with, with Steven, it's, I will do whatever it is that I need to do. And I will exemplify, uh, you know, the, the scriptures to anyone who asks me, this is my life. And then he dies. Melchizedek is like, I am here to glorify you because God wants to glorify you. Here's some bread and wine. You, uh, you know, I, I am a priest blessing you. And that's like my whole shtick. And then James is like, listen, you should never waver. Um, but, you know, James is sort of a weird exception because earlier in his life, they don't talk about him much, like who he was. And he doesn't really like follow Jesus until like way later. But mm-hmm. anyway, so I just thought that was an interesting connection that it's like a very similar kind of like spiel for these guys. And then those people end up being like the, mm-hmm. the example for later. So I always think that's really nice. kind of interesting. They're like, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All right. What else you guys got? Last thought um, is that communion, I think is related to the idea of foreshadowing. Okay. Because in what way? So it's foreshadowed in Melchizedek bringing out like bread and wine because it foreshadows like what Jesus would set up later and like all the ways that the Bible would use like bread and wine to kind of indicate God's blessing. Right. Um, but I think communion, even as we take it like at church um, is a foreshadowing because part of it true is, is to remember what, what Jesus did, like remembering his sacrifice, yeah. his body and his blood. Mm-hmm. But also um, communion points 
to the future too. Um, because we remember that like, we're going to be coming to a wedding feast. You know, we're going to be uh-huh. joining God forever in an actual communion with him, <laughs> you know, not just, mm. you know, a rinky dink, like cracker and tiny cup of juice. Um, but we'll be like dining with him and hanging out. Like we're going to have like actual real fellowship. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things we're supposed to remember when we're, when we're coming to communion. And so I think that the, the foreshadowing that like scripture did kind of talking about the coming kingdom, the coming reign of Christ, like we're still doing that to this day. I think that's pretty cool. Right. That is cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So thanks for uh, talking Melchizedek with me. It's a pretty deep subject. (laughs) Oh no, it's, it's been really good. It's been, it's it's a really deep one. So, okay. We, we have to keep doing this. We like, after I do my Jehu one, we got to just keep going. I feel like there's a lot of people that, that uh, haven't been highlighted. (laughs) <laughs> maybe you know what we should do you know what we should do we should get a guest to talk about one oh that would be fun like Stephen mcferrin or ken yeah somebody who somebody who like really feels like they can just blow the roof off <laughs> one of these yeah these uh unsung heroes yep zach we we i speak for me and bob and the listeners when i say that you did a very fantastic job with Melchizedek Thank you. and I loved learning about him. Yeah, buddy. We're, it was awesome. We're super excited. Sweet. All right. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody who's listening. Um, and, uh, thank you for checking us out, uh, and, and downloading our podcast. Please check us out on Patreon because we have some fun new content there. Um, got lots of music. Also check out our, uh, new sort of uh, gaming streaming thing that we've decided right. to do with apocalypse mode you can check yep. that out on Sid Meier Civilization like. 6 and uh, yeah uh, God bless and we will catch you next time peace